Hi, everyone. This is Olga Mack, still working from home, building the future of contracts. And today I am with May. May, please introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is May Lingley Ortiz. I go by May, and I'm managing counsel at Toyota. You and I have so much in common. It's, it's, it's kind of remarkable. You know, uh, when I talk to you, I, I feel a kindred spirit. And um, I think a lot of commonalities come from the fact that we have shared immigration experiences. And I feel that um, those uh, immigration experiences very much shaped my life, my career, my outlook on life. So I would love to talk to you about it. You know, so tell us a little bit more about uh, your background. Yeah, sure. So um, my parents are from Cambodia. They're refugees. They escaped during the time of Khmer Rouge. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, there was um, a dictator, Pol Pot, and he tried to establish an agrarian society. And so basically that meant anyone that was educated, they wore glasses, um, they were executed. Um, so, so essentially it was a genocide that my parents escaped. My parents came to America in 1980 and a month later I was born. You know, that's a little bit about where my parents came from and a little bit of my story. You know, you were born in the United States and uh, clearly, you know, this is your homeland. Um, but also the members of your household, you know, had experiences elsewhere. What experiences as a child did you have that you think that might have been a little different from experiences of, of you know, of kids in your school? I think first and foremost is realizing that that you're different. And I know that that may catch people off guard, but not being familiar with why you know, there's a Christmas tree and presents at Christmas, right? I mean, just culturally not under, there's a disconnect in what you hear and learn about at school and what the other kids talk about and what's happening in your own household. And so just realizing early on that you are a little bit different. And then secondly, when your parents aren't native, um, you end up speaking on their behalf a lot of times, which, which I kind of credit to probably why I, I chose law. I mean, I remember early on, you know, being eight years old and my parents handing me a contract and saying, read this to us. Tell me what this means. Right. And only because I knew the language better, but not necessarily what the words meant, but just being able to read, you know, as opposed to my parents experience. What do you, do you remember the like, sort of the distinct times? I know you even mentioned the sort of the Christmas tree time, um, the time when you felt maybe a little different. And, and has that feeling sort of persisted throughout life or uh or, or, or has it sort of disappeared over time? Yeah, I laugh a little bit because I think as a child, you know, I mean, rightly or wrongly, you just want to fit in, right? And the fact that I would bring different ethnic food from home for lunch made that very difficult. Um, and I just giggle because there are so many times where people are like, oh, what are you eating? What is that? You know, and so I think early on, definitely, you definitely feel different. You know, quite frankly, gosh, I mean, that's such a great question because I think, you're right. I don't know that I ever shook that feeling off that I'm different. And while for some that might seem like a negative, I've really seen how it's been instrumental in my life and my career. Yes, I'm different, but perhaps because of that, I work so hard to connect with other people, right? So, so that I wouldn't seem so different. And, and so I think looking back, it was really helpful. 
Yeah, I, I, I with you. The, the food is definitely sort of the uh, the the easy to see sign, right? Yeah. The holidays, the, the food. Um, I remember my first experience. I, I immigrated right at the end of middle school, beginning of high school. And there was a picture wow. of, you know, of my first day um, in, in this public school in San Francisco. And everybody is just like having this baggy clothes. Um, and I, I'm like really... Um, you know, perfectly dressed <laughs> and, and clearly out of place because, you know, where I came from, that's how you look in school. Um, and, you know, clearly the kids around me felt this and I felt this, uh, but it was a snap and picture of, 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 of the first day, right? And, and, and that, and, and, and you feel it then and you feel it now. And um, well, the big difference is the spin you put on it, right? Because as a child, you know, I certainly was not secure enough to to right. say say what you just said. Well, let me take my differences and make them superpower. <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh! And what you're saying resonates so much because I, I mean, there are a number of photos from school that you knew that my parents dressed me because there's no concept of matching, like like c- matching colors and and patterns wasn't a thing. Were you fully clothed? Were they clean? you're going to school, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's exactly right. And, and food is another thing, right? And food yeah. comes both in what it is and how it smells and what it looks. And sometimes, you know, depending who you deal with, unfamiliar is exciting and exotic. And sometimes right. it's foreign and other, right? And right. so you never know who you deal with and what reaction that will elicit. And, and, and are you going to be the exotic outsider or a, 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 a very uh, threatening foreigner. Very interesting when you talk about speaking on behalf of um, and being uh, your parents, uh, both sort of the language interpreter, but then there's sort of a cultural interpreter and, uh, and, and all kinds of other interpreter. Um, and I think for most of us who immigrated in the United States, uh, there is this contract or, or letter that you <laughs> interpret um, and, and there is an expectation that you are fluent in it. And that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yes, it is. And, you know, and, and when you have a community, you know, I'm not sure if you grew up with a community of immigrants, but we did. You're not only expected that pressure for your family, but for neighbors who don't know the language. I mean, suddenly, you know, neighbors are knocking your door and be like, hey, we understand that you can read. Tell us what this means, you know? And so growing up, having that experience of naturally speaking on behalf, helping interpret early on. Yeah. Which is probably why I know a lot of times people get asked the question of like, what would their superpower be? And I think mine would be to be able to speak every kind of language. Right. Because I've seen the power of connecting and communication and how you're less of an other usually, um, when you can speak the language, right? I've certainly seen that when I visit other countries, right? When you even at least try in broken, you know, whatever language it is over there, it, it just cuts through some of that disconnect or, or that, that, that distance. Yeah, no, la- language is definitely a quick way to, to sep- you know, to separate people by, by in and out, right? Whether it's just speaking or speaking well, uh, or speaking with poise, right? That sort of persists in every level of, of society. Uh, as an immigrant, you're sort of aware of your accent, but then as you, for example, progress in your career, you, you, 
you know, there's sort of this concept of executive presence, and that means speaking a certain way and looking a certain way. And so that, that separation by perception, it, it's not just for immigrants, it's really just kind of throughout our lives. Uh, but as an immigrant, you, you feel it in a very powerful way. You started talking about superpower and how kind of maybe turning your insecurities uh, into superpowers. Um, tell me about your journey with that, uh, with languages and choosing to become a lawyer and how to, to turning uh, kind of maybe differences into advantages. Yeah, I think back to kind of a distinct time where, I mean, we go back to, I think, high school and I distinctly and, and just a little bit of background. I grew up in a small country town. We were the only Asian family in the whole town. So talk about um, another feeling of other. Right. Because you're other because you're the only. Um, so in that, you know, so so when you go to lunch and you decide which lunch table to sit I didn't have a place to sit. I didn't have a regular table. There were the African-American kids. They were the, you know, Latinx kids. There were the jocks and the cheerleaders. There were the people who were in bands. And I didn't fit in anywhere. But my experience growing up is that I could fit anywhere, even though I didn't have a place. So even though I grew up feeling very different, it caused me to be able to communicate and connect with people regardless of who they are and, you know, what clique they're in. And I think that's, you know, looking back, what's made me, you know, effective as a lawyer today, quite frankly, being able to connect to people regardless of their backgrounds. Um, so I guess that's an example of an insecurity or perhaps growing up. I mean, let's be honest. I, I was, I hated high school. Okay. I hated it. It was terrible. I felt hey, so hey, well. Hey, who didn't? Who didn't? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hated it, but looking back, I, I think, I think there was, you know, it, it, it turned out fine. Yeah. I've, I certainly had similar experiences and I, I once talked to a general counsel who um, explained to me that, uh, you know, people who don't have, so to speak, a table to see that because mm -hmm. they, they don't fit a designation. Um, they have to very early on figure out, you know, let's just call them purple people, how to fit in into blue people world. And, you know, those colors could be really, you know, your, your ethnicity, your, your origin, your gender, your anything. Um, and from early on, uh, those purple people um, learn, they have a very high EQ because they have to figure out how to fit in into the blue world or the green world because they don't belong on any table. And so they kind of have superpowers because of that. I, that, that, that explanation was given to me by uh, one of the sort of well-known general counsel. And I, I, I find it very enlightening and, and, uh, and very much correspond to what you just said. Yeah, I love it. That resonates so much. And I even think back about, I think that's why I'm comfortable being the only, um, you know, growing up and being in law school or, or being in being a lawyer, being whether it's the only woman or the only Asian American, or I'm comfortable with that. I'm fine with that. And I think it's because I was that for so long. Yeah, no, I was you. I, I'm usually the only old in the room uh, <laughs> in the United States. Now, in right. my, up until 13, I was one of I think 15 Olga's in my, my school, in my, in my class, not my school. So right, right. I was an average Jane uh, until 13. And then I became 
not so average. Uh, and remembering those two realities is, is very powerful as you kind of go through life. Um, if you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? Gosh, I mean, I, <laughs> so many, so many interests. I, I think I would be a writer. And I know it's like, well, what kind of writer? I don't know. I just enjoy writing. So I don't know if it would be an academia where I could like research and learn and get paid to just learn and teach um, or be a novelist. Um, but I would love to write. So the other thing we have in common is the uh, shared refugee experience, uh, yeah. from different places. Um, and that's very powerful uh, because in my experience, those reasons for being refugee, which is not, a, you know, it's, it's different reason to leave the country. It's not necessarily to uh, look for a prosperity it's mm-hmm. for fear of your life. So right. It's, it's a very different reason to move. Very different. Um, that stays within your family um, mm-hmm. for a long time, for generations after generations. Yes. Um, tell me how that shaped you. Yeah, gosh, I mean, I mean, looking back, um, there was certainly this sense of you cannot fail because we've escaped something so terrible that, I don't know, it was just expected that you are going to come to America, get an education to succeed. Like that we escaped with our lives so that you could have one. And so I think early on having that responsibility, um, placed on you even as a child, right? I don't know, rightly or wrongly, I mean, when you talk about the refugee experience, there's a lot of trauma, right? A, a lot of trauma in in generations. And then I think part of that, again, rightly or wrongly, you showed up in in guilt, right? If I didn't do well, it was like you got an opportunity that other people didn't get, right? So don't, I guess, mess up. I mean, I couldn't mess up, you know, and I don't know if that's necessarily healthy or not but that certainly was my upbringing yeah no there there is there is this thing as um, a little bit of sense in instability right um, if i could escape this horror what could possibly go wrong um it, it's a little bit of starting life was you know i already got away <laughs> <laughs> right so it can only get better from here so there is definitely this sense but I, I, I am I'm with you because this, the stories of, 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 of other lives, uh, traumatic lives, um, you know, especially, you know, when you, you know, you know, my parents sound like exactly like your parents, um, <laughs> <laughs> where, um, you know, they're like, Olga, you're given a gift. <laughs> right. Right. Do not <laughs> lose it. It's sort of a consistent narrative. And persistent yeah. narrative, um, and it's funny. Um, my my parents helped me raise my children, um, and <laughs> my my children get it too. <laughs> you know what I what I find it you know interesting how you made a choice of going to law school. Uh, what, what was it? was there a particular reason or event um, that inspired you to end up in law school? Yeah, I, I wish I did have kind of an inspirational story. I mean, I guess, you know, to be honest, the first thing is that, you know, at least a common narrative with Asian American immigrants, and I don't know if your experience was any different, but I was really given two choices. It was doctor or lawyer. You know, sometimes we also get engineer in there, but my parents didn't know what that was. So it was like, May, you're going to go to school and you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, um, 
I'm not really fond of blood. I'm quite squeamish. So there we go. I kind of kind of landed in, in being a lawyer, but I'm so, so, so glad um, that it, that I ended up loving it. Right. I know lots of colleagues who, you know, don't love it and maybe you're still in it, but I love it. And, and maybe it's because of, you know, our past experience of just speaking on behalf of people, advocating, helping interpret, help, helping our neighbors and, and aunts and uncles solve problems. I think it just came really natural. So I'm glad that I ended up here. But it was, yeah, but there was no glamour story. <laughs> it was an yeah. edict. It was an edict. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's actually kind of, I guess, good enough story. In my case, it, it started as a joke. I, um, I, I didn't speak English and people would ask me this idiotic question. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I, I, I am one of those people who likes telling um, things that elicit reaction. So I would say I would like to be a lawyer and I don't speak English. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and it's really interesting to see people squirm. They, they don't want to tell you that only you speak English and you don't stand a chance. Um, <laughs> Because they're two polite Americans, right? But on the other hand, it's sort of the, you can see it right in their faces that you, you're giving them some nonsense that they can't find a quiet place in their head. And it's, watching them struggle is, is sort of entertaining. So, <laughs> and I've done it so many times that I, over time, convince myself that that's where I'm going. Uh, so, um, so, so, so kind of like you. But um, did you, you know, did you find that, you know, kind of having the background of, you know, immigration and being a refugee and kind of having more of a worldview uh, as you got to law school, as you got to practice in the corporate world, do you think that that really um, that experience kind of set you apart and give you advantage or in any way sort of shaped your thinking? Yeah, I think a couple of things. As far as worldview, I think it does shape your experience or your perception of things. Um, and and I think, again, it's just that, you know, knowing that there's always a different culture or there could be a different interpretation or it could be received differently. Maybe maybe a nod back to, you you know, your, your note about higher EQ. I think you know, looking at my experience as a lawyer, whether it was a trial lawyer or whether in-house, I, I can't really turn it off. I, I'm able to read the unsaid words or feelings in a room and, and, you know, obviously, you know, help solve the client's problems, maybe problems that they're not even saying. So, so I definitely think that's a key component. A second thing is probably, you know, grit, resilience, right? E there's a part of it when you're immigrant, you don't know a lot of things. You don't know what you don't know, but there's a confidence in knowing that you can figure out, figure it out because you're not afraid to ask people questions. Um, or at least, you know, that's my experience um, that maybe I don't know the etiquette or I don't know the rules, but I've gotten really good at observing, maybe emulating, copying at first. And so I can figure out my own style and, and then, just being really resourceful, right? So I think those are key things that have made my experience different. Yeah, no, I that completely resonates, along with scrappiness. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, scrappiness is, you know, the, the grit, the resilience, the scrappiness. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, having gone through immigration, uh, having gone through, uh, you know, going from one place to another, for choices other than just sort of pursuit of happiness, uh, but for fear, 
you really kind of get connected with that feeling of, of great perseverance and scrappiness. And it, it becomes such part of your DNA and everything you do. Um, yeah, stays on. Um, it does. Cause, cause I, I remember a time when we didn't have a car and, you know, we rode the bus and I grew up in California before moving to Texas. So I remember taking, you know, the bus and I remember there were times when we didn't really like eat a lot of meat because it was more expensive. And so by choice or, or happenstance, you know, we, we had to be more of a vegetarian lifestyle. I mean, I just remember things like when you're not a person who's used to having a lot and you realize you can get by with just a little, there's that scrappiness um, that you're talking about and, and that grit and resilience of like, yeah, yeah this yeah. is where we are now, but you know, we'll figure it out and it'll get better. Yeah, I, you know, I, I remember the bus rides um, yes. all, the, all the way until I got married. Um, I didn't have a license when I got married, actually, in the United States, because I basically was driving a bus all the way through law school and beyond. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, that was some of the reasons, I, I, I suppose. Uh, it was definitely not because I was afraid of driving or anything like that. And uh, I remember my, my, my you know, soon-to-be husband was very surprised that I was not a, a typical American who got her license like at the age of 14 or 15. Uh, he was sort of puzzled why I didn't take advantage of that freedom. Um, and, and, and I was explaining to him that the concept of freedom means much more than a driver's license. <laughs> oh my gosh, a hundred percent. So yeah, it, it does lead to kind of interesting conversations and, uh, and choices in life. You know, there's a lot of conversations around sort of branding. I often wonder whether this kind of refugee immigration experiences could be part of, I guess, you know, to me, branding means your reputation part of yeah. kind of reputation and your DNA and who you are and how you authentically show up. I guess I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what is kind of, I guess, called, let's just call it branding or reputation means to you. And, um, you know, and how do you build it? How do you, how do you show up as yourself? I think first and foremost, I, I mean, I love that we're going to agree to a definition because I think branding means different things to different people. And like you, I think it's a reputation. Um, and I think it has to be authentic, right. And, and I think it has to really reflect your core values and who you are as far as how the immigrant experience kind of falls into that. I think it's, it's something that I really can't separate from who I am. Therefore it's a part of it, right? Like, like if I introduce myself, a lot of times I do say I'm the child of refugees and I think it's important for people to know that because with that comes a lot of what I'm proud of, that I am a scrappy, that I'm resourceful, I figure things out, that I'm a hard worker, right? Um, you know, all those is really enveloped in just identifying myself or my brand as I'm a child of immigrants or I'm a child of refugees. I think that's very powerful, maybe in a storytelling way, right? One sentence to say that, to encapsulate all these character you know, aspects that, that I want people to know about me. Yeah, there, there's no neutral way to, to say that one, you're an immigrant, two, um, you, you're a refugee, right? Um, there's, um, there's a baggage that comes with it. Yes, yes, there is, there is. And I don't know. And then I think about part of it is, uh, well, I distinctly remember one of my first, he was my first employer. He, his mom was from Estonia. 
but he was um, born here. And as a young lawyer working for him, he, he said, he was like, I can tell that you're a child of immigrants. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? He was like, well, you work really hard, but also you turn off all the lights in the office. You go around turning off all the lights when no one's in the room. And I was like, well, yeah, you can't waste electricity. And it was funny because he, he saw that in me. He read that from me from just a small thing, you know? I don't know why he didn't go with environmentalists. He just said, yeah, you're just like my mom. I bet you, you know, are really thrifty and don't waste things. And I was like, well, I don't know, but, but you definitely have to turn off the lights. <laughs> <laughs> that may be much deeper than we want to discuss with you, but yeah, the lights <laughs> off. <you up. laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, you're also very passionate about sort of mentoring and, uh, and, um, and, and helping other people out. Uh, where does this come from? But where does this passion come from? Is, it, is, is that part of that um, DNA, immigrant, immigrant DNA, or is it from somewhere else? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is really much ingrained in my immigrant experience. Because quite frankly, when you come here as an immigrant, I mean, unless you're sponsored by family or, or someone that has, you know, like money, when you're a refugee, you come with nothing. Right. And so you necessarily have to rely on, you know, for us, it was American Red Cross or rely on a nonprofit. Sometimes it's churches that help sponsor and, and, and help refugees. So I think ingrained early on is that you cannot do it alone. People help you. And in turn, you need to be able to help others. Right. It, it's that kind of reciprocity that's ingrained in you early. So I think that's that's where it comes from. Yeah, immigration is definitely a community experience. Yes. So good. It, yeah. Whether you are sponsored or not, um, whether you feel part of the community or outside of the community, you always have a relationship with the community, whether it's positive or negative, where it's helpful or not. And it's actually often not just one way or another, it's just sort of a shifting definition point in time question, right? Sometimes yeah. you fit in and sometimes you don't fit in. Sometimes you are helped and sometimes you are not. Sometimes you are being helpful uh, and, 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 and that help is either not welcome or, or very welcome, right? So you always have this relationship with the community of which you're part of or, or hope to be part of or hope not to be part of. Um, yes. and it's sort of ongoing conversation. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of like yourself. Um, I, I uh, very intrinsically kind of think of the world as collection of community with, with yes. I have various degrees of relationships and fluidity of coming in and out and, and, um, and, and keeping in touch. In law, what do you think, that concept of community and identity that ties with it, you know, how do you think it's helpful or not helpful to the profession? And I guess, yeah. Um, oh gosh, yeah. And, and do, you know, does it help great lawyers to be greater? Or, or, you know, kind of, you know, what are, what are your views about legal community? I think you're right. It, it is such a, it, it is a very distinct community. And it's a shame that the community often gets painted with a negative brush. I mean, I just grew, I just grew up, even though I, you know, decided ultimately to be a lawyer, but there are so many lawyer jokes, right? And there's so many movies about, you know, unscrupulous lawyers and, and things like that. And I, gosh, in my 15 years of practice, I couldn't, find anything further than the truth. I mean, I, lawyers are often leaders in our community. They're often leaders in, you know, our government, in um, 
maybe I shouldn't go there with that example right now, but they're <laughs> leaders in our companies, you know, they are often civic leaders, community leaders. Um, they're the ones who often contribute and plan and raise money for nonprofits. Gosh, when I think about lawyers, like our, I mean, at, at the core, we help people, right? We help people solve problems. And that I think is, is a really special thing about our profession. Um, I do think though, that if you aren't involved, right, in the community, um, you can really do yourself a disservice. And maybe it's just because I have always been a person really involved and I've seen how lawyers have helped me and how we can help each other um, and just really help the community or help each other build our business or whatever that is. I've just seen so much strength in leaning into the community versus kind of being on your own. Yeah, I, I've had very positive experiences with communities in law. Um, I've been helped by many communities. I've been embraced by many communities. I've built many communities. I've contributed yes. to many communities. I, 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 throughout my, my practice, both legal practice and in uh, my adventures uh, in the future of law, the community has always been there. Yes. Um, and uh, whether I am as a contributor or I am as a beneficiary, or uh, building the greater future for everybody else. Um, it, it really, the community has propelled me forward. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not any one community. It's not any one person. It's the collective experience of, of being with uh, like-minded professionals who may be quite different. Yeah. <laughs> they may have yeah. very different life stories. But I find that law is such a great Thing that I have in common with the members of the community and, and, and this community kind of can be large or small and it's ever changing um, that if you kind of a really good member, uh, respectful member, uh, uh, um, contributing member, mm -hmm. uh, you really can grow this community and propel the community forward and yourself forward. Um, so I, I often find find grateful for the for the community, uh, legal community that kind of keeps changing, but has has always been there for me. Yeah, hundred percent, and and just the the depth of that thought leadership, right? Like you said, we may be lawyers, but just the diverse thinkers and just someone to bounce ideas off of. Um, I, I think it's so rich. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But I find your observation is, is that, you know, you definitely see, you know, a lot of lawyers uh, being leaders. Um, yes. And, um, you know, and I, I you know, there, I often joke, it's really funny that in a society where, you know, most parents, you know, really would like their kids to be lawyers. What's amazing is, is that most people make fun of lawyers. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah, I've not thought about that disconnect before, but it's so true. Yeah, we it, it's and maybe it's sort of our dysfunctional relationship with law that maybe the <laughs> law does not always serve us or yeah. don't always understand it and, and maybe it's projected to lawyers as well. Uh, but I, I find that disconnect a little uh, interesting. I, I've never been able to quite explain it. Uh, but yes, for, for, for a country where every parent, almost every parent wants their child to be a lawyer or at least would not mind them being one, yeah. um, it is disturbingly high number of people who actually you know, tell, you know, 
lawyer jokes and 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 and, and have really interesting relationships as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're coming to the end of of, of this conversation. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and, and, and really learned so much from you. And I, I find it really amazing, you know, how having immigration experience and having a refugee experience, even from very different parts of the world for very right. different reasons, gives us so much in common. It's, it's a, you know, when you say something, I feel like listening to myself. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so it, it, it's it's amazing. <laughs> May um, I, it's almost talking to my own reflection to some extent. Um, do you have any kind of as as um, mantras or or things that help you go forward as you move through life? You know, maybe things that have persisted. You know, since you were a child and you felt different, maybe through law school, maybe through your career, that you find particularly helpful. Yeah, I think for a couple of years, it was presence over perfection, because I think as lawyers, we chase perfection. And that um, rightly or wrongly um, can lead to, you know, a lot of anxieties and depression in our profession. So for, for a while, it was always presence over perfection. And then just this last year, 2020, right, changes lots of things. I think I changed it to presence over progress. Right. Because in the pandemic, I don't know, I feel like a lot of us may, may have felt stuck. Um, but in the end, you know, at least, you know, I definitely don't want to diminish other people's experience with the pandemic. But for me, all in all, it was a good time to to really be more present with my children and be more introspective about, you know, what I think is most important in my life. So that's one. And then the second one that I've had for a couple of years is grit, gratitude, and grace. Grit, again, kind of comes from our immigrant experience. You know, we'll get through it. Hard work, preparation, we'll figure it out. And then gratitude, um, when you come to a country <clears throat> with nothing, I, I think you're very grateful for, for what you have. Um, and then last, grace. I think giving ourselves permission to make mistakes and to grow is huge. Thank you so much for finding the time to have this conversation around immigration. Thank you so much. It's been so fun.